pilgrimage to the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. This is another one of our recurring segments of the podcast where we look at who our role models are and take a look at some of the great disciples of the Buddha. What we said was role models play an important part in all of our lives, whether we seek them out or not. And whether we walk the Buddhist path or not, role models have the power to shape the direction we take and the ability to influence the decisions that follow on from there. Life with its ups and downs, challenges and opportunities. And at every turn, we often seek wise counsel, examples that we can follow or emulate, people that we can respect, be inspired by and look up to, and much more. So today I wanted to look at a lay male disciple of the Buddha. And again, the aim is the same. We want to learn about a noble being. And we also want to delight in their lives, um, their accomplishments, and also highlight some of the reasons why they're worthy role models. And then use them as inspiration towards our Noble Eightfold Path. Now when it comes to lay male disciples, you get a few examples um, in terms of who Buddha uh, states is the foremost at certain things. And this is in the Anguttara Nikaya chapter 1. And I think it's between 248 to 267 is the lay followers. And in terms of the male lay followers, there's people like Tapusa and Balika, the foremost at going for refuge. You have uh, the foremost donor, who is the householder Anathapindika. You also have um, the foremost at the speaker on Dhamma as a householder, and that's Chitta, householder Chitta. That's who we're going to focus on today. And there are many other ones um, who feature as foremost. There's also Sura Ambatta, who is the foremost at unwavering perfect confidence. And then you have people like Nakulapita, who is the most trustworthy of the householders. So that's a few. But as I was saying today, I'd like to focus on householder Chitta. And uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like to read from a book which is the Noble Disciples or the Great Disciples of the Buddha. And this is a publication and translation by Nayaponikathera and Helmuth Hecker. So I'd like to read the section that has been written on Householder Chitta. On one occasion, the Buddha enumerated for the benefit of his bhikkhus the names of 21 eminent lay disciples or parsakas and who had attained realization of the paths and fruits. Fourth on this list, we find the householder Chitta of Machika Sanda, near Savati. And that's from Anguttara Nikaya, chapter 6, Discourse 120. On another occasion, the Blessed One said to his bhikkhus, Should a devoted mother wish to encourage her beloved only son in a proper way, she may tell him, Try to become like the householder Chitta, my dear and like the householder Hathika of Alavi. These two, Chitta and Hathika, are models and guiding standards for my lay disciples. The mother may then continue, But if you should decide to become a monk, my dear, 
then try to imitate Sariputta and Mahamukalana. These two, Sariputta and Mahamukalana, are models and guiding standards for my bhikkhus. And that's from the Sangyutta Nikaya, Chapter 17, Discourse 23. Thus the Buddha stressed that a devoted lay disciple should foster the wish to become like Chitta and Hathaka, while devoted bhikkhus should aspire to equal Sariputta and Mahamogalana. Here different models are set for lay people and for monks. A lay follower is not to choose a bhikkhu as his model, but a lay disciple. And a bhikkhu should not choose a lay disciple, but a bhikkhu. The modes of living of the two types are quite different. An example taken from one's own background is bound to prove more effective. A lay disciple aspiring to be like Sariputta should take the robe, but if he wants to permeate his life with Dhamma while still living as a householder, he should look up to householders like Chitta and Hathaka as his models. In enumerating his foremost disciples, the Buddha mentioned three persons who excelled in expounding the Dhamma. The Bhikkhu, Puna, Manta Niputta, the Bhikkhuni Dhammadina, and the Householder Chitta. That comes from Anguttara 1, Chapter 14. There is no record of any other lay disciple who was so well gifted in this respect. This Chitta, a teacher of the Good Dhamma, the model for Buddhist lay disciples, he was a wealthy merchant who owned a whole hamlet, Migapataka, and nearby a large wood, Ambata Kavana. This he presented to the Sangha, building a spacious monastery there, where many bhikkhus often dwelt. His devotion to the Blessed One is explained by the fact that he had been a servant of the Bodhisattva in a former life and had followed him into homelessness. You can find more details in the Jataka number 488. There are no less than 11 accounts of the life of this devoted Upasaka from which he may be gathered a distinct outline of his personality. Chitta particularly appreciated a certain bhikkhu, the Venerable Sudhamma, and always consulted him before proffering an invitation to other bhikkhus. One day, Sariputta, Moggallana, Anuruddha, Ananda, and several other wise and learned elders arrived at Machikasanda in the course of a journey. At once Chitta approached them, and Sariputta granted him a Dhamma talk of such profundity that Chitta attained to the second stage of sanctity, that of once returner, Sakadagami. Chitta immediately invited the illustrious gathering for the next day's meal. Afterwards it occurred to him that in this one instance he had forgotten to invite Sudama in advance, and he hastened to let him know of the invitation. When the Venerable Sudhamma learned of this, he grew jealous and crossly reprimanded Chitta for not having told him beforehand. Although Chitta had cordially invited him to join the meal offering, Sudhamma scornfully declined. Chitta repeated his civil request twice more, but in vain. So thinking in his heart that Sudhamma's obstinacy had no bearing on his deed and the deed's fruit, he went home and joyfully began preparations for the auspicious event. The next day, however, the Venerable Sudhamma could not bring himself to stay away. 
he joined the gathering as if nothing had happened and praised the bounty and refinement of Chitta's hospitality. But real consummation, he added sarcastically, would have been achieved by serving cream cakes to round off the meal. Chitta replied that his friend's ill-advised behaviour reminded him of a story he had heard. Some people known to him once bred a hybrid from a crow and a hen, and the result the resulting chick was afflicted with a grotesque defect. Whenever it wanted to crow like a cock, it cawed like a crow. And when it tried to caw like a crow, it crowed like a cock. By this, Chitta intended to say that Sudamma had not only failed in correct behaviour as a bhikkhu, but in proper civility as a layman too. Refusing an invitation out of jealousy was hardly right for a monk and criticising the food was poor manners for a householder. Sudama was deeply offended by these words and wanted to leave. Thereupon, Chitta offered to support him for the rest of his life, but the bhikkhu rejected his offer. Chitta then kindly asked him to visit the Buddha and relate what had occurred to him. When Sudama left abruptly, Chitta said, Till we meet again. The Buddha said to Sudama, Foolish man, what you did was unseemly? improper, discourteous, and not the way of an ascetic, how could you meanly insult and show disdain for a devoted, faithful lay disciple, a benefactor and supporter of the Sangha? And at a meeting of the Sangha, it was decided that Sudama could call on the householder Chitta and ask for forgiveness. Sudama accordingly set out, but on reaching Majikasanda, he felt so deeply embarrassed that he could not force himself to do what he had come for. So he turned back without having seen Chitta. When his fellow bhikkhus asked him whether he had performed his duty and learned that he had not, they informed the Buddha. The Buddha then advised another bhikkhu to accompany Sudama on his difficult errand. And so it was done. Sudama asked Chitta for forgiveness and Chitta pardoned him. Of the ten instructive discourses contained in the Chitta Samyutta, three deal with questions posed by Chitta to bhikkhus, three with queries put to Chitta by bhikkhus, and four refer to personal events. Once Chitta invited a group of elder bhikkhus from the monastery he had founded for a meal. Afterwards he requested the senior monk to give an exposition of what the Buddha had said on the variety of elements. The elder was unable to explain and after he had been requested in vain a second and a third time, the youngest bhikkhu named Isadatta asked for permission to reply to Chitta's request. The elder consented and Isadatta, a pupil of the Venerable Mahakachana, lucidly explained the variety of elements on the basis of 18 elements, the six sense faculties, the six type of objects and the six elements of consciousness. The bhikkhus then took their leave on the way back to the monastery, the senior bhikkhu commended young Isidatta for his excellent exposition and said that next time he should not hesitate to speak up in a similar situation. There was no envy in the elder's heart, but on the contrary, he felt sympathetic joy, mudita, over his young companion's accomplishments and depth of understanding. Isidatta, on his part, felt no pride and so both complied with the ideals of the monk's life. That comes from Sangyutta Nikaya, chapter 41, discourse number 2. On another occasion, Chitta posed the question, 
from what do wrong views on the world and the self originate? He asked for an exposition of what the Buddha had taught on this subject in the great Brahmajala Sutta. Again, the senior bhikkhu was ignorant of the matter, and again Isidatta replied, Wrong views, he said, invariably originate from the view of a self. Sakaya Ditti in Pali. Chitta then went on to ask what, from what the view of a self originates, and Isidatta replied that the uninstructed worldling, untrained in the noble Dhamma, takes the five aggregates of personality as being mine, I, and myself. Thus he is continually creating the illusion of selfhood out of what was merely transient, empty phenomena, form, feeling, perception, volitional formations, and consciousness. Chitta was delighted with the discourse and asked Isidatta from where he came. From the township of Avanti, Isidatta replied. Chitta, who did not know his name, then asked whether he knew a certain Isidatta there with whom he used to correspond, explaining the Dhamma to him and encouraging him to take the robe. As he did not know what had been the outcome, he wished to learn of it. He had never seen Isidatta, and now to his great joy he learned that his former pen friend had indeed decided upon ordination and was now sitting before him. He asked for the favour of supporting him, but Isidatta, though appreciating the generous offer, declined and took his leave, never to return. That's Sanyutta Nikaya, chapter 41, discourse number 3. The commentary does not explain Isidatta's motives for leaving so suddenly. It seems likely that he preferred an anonymity. And now that his identity had been disclosed by the conversation with Chitta, he felt he could no longer reside in that region. He attained to Arahantship, and all we hear further of him is a short stanza dealing with the five aggregates in the Verigatta. I think it's uh, teaching 120. On the third occasion when Chitta was the questioner, it was a monk called Karmabu who replied, Chitta put to him no less than 11 abstract questions concerning the three types of formations, Sankharas, and their cessation. And that's in Sanyutta Nikaya um, chapter 41 and discourse number 6. These were the same as the questions which the householder Visaka put to the nun Dhammadina in Majjhimanikaya uh, 44. The first talk in which Chitta is found replying to questions occurred when some senior bhikkhus, after the alms round, were sitting together on the porch of the monastery discussing the problem of whether the fetters, which are the Sangyojanas in Pali, and the sense objects are the same or not. Some said they were the same, some said they were different. Chitta happened upon the scene and joined the gathering. When invited to comment, he declared that in his view the fetters and the sense objects are different, not only in name but in meaning too. As in a pair of oxen, the white one is not the fetter of the black, and the black one is not the fetter of the white, but both are fettered by a single rope or yoke strap. So the sense faculties had no power to bind the external objects, and the external objects had no power to bind the sense faculties, but they were yoked by craving. Tanha. The bhikkhus rejoiced at the learned lay disciple's answer, and declared that Chitta must be in possession of the eye of wisdom, which ranges over the profound teaching of the Buddha. 
The same simile is used on two other occasions by Sariputta and Venerable Ananda, and uh, its exact import was lucidly explained by the Buddha as well when he said that the six sense faculties and their objects are things fettered, and that craving, tanha, or lustful desire, chandaraga, alone is the fetter that binds them. This is an important point to take into consideration in order to avoid a futile fight against the outer sense objects and the inner sense faculties, for it is our in internal lust and desire that bind us, not the sense faculties and their objects. The simile aptly assigns black to the six inner domains, since the subject is what is unknown, and white to the outer domains because the objects are evident. The second talk showing Chitta as a teacher starts when the bhikkhu, Kamavu, recites a stanza spoken by the Buddha, a solemn utterance, and asks Chitta to elucidate it. The stanza goes, The faultless chariot with its one axle and white canopy rolls. See him coming without blemish, without ties, the one who has crossed the stream. Chitta first wanted to know whether the utterance was one of the Buddhas, which Kamabu confirmed. Obviously, to Chitta, only a saying of the Buddhas was worthy of deep reflection. Then he asked for a short time to reflect, and finally said, The chariot is the bodily form which moves around. The one axle is mindfulness. The smooth, frictionless holding together of the parts is virtue. The white, silken canopy is emancipation. So the Arahant, without blemish or ties, has crossed the stream. He has done away with greed, hatred and ignorance and is safe from the ocean of craving. Kamavu then told Chitta that he could well be called happy and blessed as the eye of wisdom had come to him in explaining that profound saying of the Buddha. And that's in Sanyutta Nikaya 41, Discourse number 5. The third incident relates a conversation in the course of which the bhikkhu Godata challenged Chitta to expound on this controversy. The reference for this is Derigata 659-72 and the controversy is are the immeasurable liberation of mind, the unattached liberation of mind, the void liberation of mind and the signless liberation of mind the same in meaning and different only in name or are they different both in name and meaning? Chitta replied that they may be considered the same or different according to the point of view. They are different in meaning and different in name when considered as referring to different types of temporary emancipation, but the same in meaning and different only in name when considered as different aspects of final emancipation. When different in both meaning and name, the immeasurable liberation is the four divine abodes, Brahmavihara. The unattached liberation is the third formless attainment. The void liberation is the insight contemplation of non-self. And the signless liberation is the meditative experience of Nibbana. When identical in meaning and different only in name, all four signify the Arahant's unshakable liberation from greed, hatred and delusion. And that's Sanyutta Nikaya 41, Discourse number 7. Elsewhere, more personal events are also related. One time, after some bhikkhus had taken their arms at his house, Chitta accompanied them back to the monastery. It was very hot and they were perspiring freely. 
The youngest of the bhikkhus, Mahaka, remarked to the senior one that wind or rain would certainly be welcome. The observation sounds banal and not worth mentioning, but its import lies in the fact that Mahaka could exercise psychic powers and was asking permission to do so. When he actually did procure rain to refresh his companions, Chitta was deeply impressed, particularly since Mahaka was still very young. At the monastery, therefore, he asked the bhikkhu to display his powers once more. Perhaps it was the first time Chitta had seen a paranormal feat of this kind, and he felt a natural curiosity about it. Mahaka complied. A coat and a bundle of hay were placed on the porch, after which Mahaka went inside and closed the door. Creating a beam of tremendous heat, he directed it through the keyhole and turned the bundle of hay to ashes without harming the coat. Filled with enthusiasm, Chitta offered to support Mahaka for life. Like Isidatta, however, Maka preferred to leave the place and never returned. And that's Sanyutta Nikaya 41, Discourse 4. Bhikkhus are forbidden to impress lay people by exhibition of paranormal powers as part of the Vinaya. Mahaka was young and these powers were still new and titillating to him, so he could not resist Chitta's request. But he recollected himself immediately after and did the right thing by leaving for good. Chitta's town was visited not only by bhikkhus, but also by ascetics of other persuasions. One of these was the leader of the Jains, Niganta Nataputta. Chitta called upon him as well, for he did not took down on those of other sects and was courageous enough to take up the challenge of dispute. And that's from Sanyutta Nikaya 41, Discourse 8. Nataputta wanted to know whether Chitta believed the Buddha's statement that there is a state of concentration, samadhi, void of thought and examination, vitakavichara. Chitta answered that he did not believe there is such a thing, and Nataputta, eager to enlist the renowned Chitta in support of his views, was quite pleased with the reply. Well said, he explained, exclaimed, and went on to expound his own belief that the stilling, the flow of thought, would be as difficult as stopping the Ganges with one's bare hands. Impossible it is it to make thought and examination cease, he declared. Nathaputta, however, had failed to catch Chitta's exact meaning. Chitta now countered with a query. What do you think is more excellent, Venerable Sir, belief or knowledge? Knowledge, Nathaputta answered. Thereupon, Chitta explained that he himself had experienced all the jhanas, of which the last three actually without thought and examination. Hence for him, it was no longer a matter of belief, but of knowledge, from direct experience that the Buddha's statement was correct. Thereupon, Nathaputta blamed him severely for the form of his first reply. Chitta protested that first he had been praised for being a wise man, and now he was called a fool. Only one of the two opinions could be true, so what did Nathaputta really think of him? But Chitta was not to receive an answer, for Nathaputta preferred to remain silent. This incident shows how even famous philosophers may fall into inconsistencies, especially when their pride is hurt, and Nathaputta claimed to be more than a mere philosopher. He had also always failed to attain the higher jhanas, so he conveniently concluded that they are a myth. Now, 
when an entirely trustworthy man declared that he had actually attained to these jhanas, the baselessness of his own theory was proved, along with the inferiority of his own status. Nathaputta's chagrin must have been increased by the fact that, whereas he himself had been for so long a practitioner of extreme asceticism, Chitta was still living the household life. It is scarcely to be wondered at that Nathaputta withdrew in confusion. The third personal encounter related is between Chitta and the naked ascetic Kasapa, and this is from Sanyutta Nikaya 41, Discourse 9. This ascetic was an old friend of Chitta's family, and so when he visited his old hometown for the first time after many years, he called on Chitta. Chitta asked him how long he had been leading the ascetic life. Thirty years, he was told. Chitta next inquired whether he had attained to superhuman states of bliss or supernormal insight. Kasper answered, No, I have just been going about naked, shaving my head and dusting my seat. That was his life. Now it was Kasapa's turn to ask questions. How long had Chitta been a lay follower of the Buddha? Thirty years, Chitta replied. Had he attained to superhuman states? Well, Chitta said, I have certainly experienced the four jhanas, and should I die before the Blessed One, he would say of me that no fetter bound me any more to the sense sphere world. This, as Kasapa knew very well, meant that Chitta was a non-returner, anagami, one who had attained to the third of the four stages of awakening. The ascetic, worn by painful austerities, was stunned by the idea that a layman could reach such a high attainment, justly considering that since this was possible for a layman in the Buddha's dispensation, even more could be gained by a bhikkhu. He asked Chitta to help him in taking the robe. He was duly admitted to the Sangha and he attained Arahantship shortly thereafter. Three other friends of Chitta also became bhikkhus after discussions of that kind. They were Sudhamma, Gotdatta and Isidatta, who, as related before, had been in correspondence with Chitta. All three of them attained to ultimate emancipation, leaving Chitta, the householder, behind. The last account we have of Chitta relates to the circumstances of his death, and this is in Sangyutta Nikaya 41, Discourse 10. When he fell ill, Devas appeared to him and urged him to set his heart upon becoming a world monarch in his next life. No, Chitta answered. He was aiming at something higher, more noble and peaceful than that. He was seeking the unconditioned, Nibbana. In recommending Chitta to be a world monarch, the Devas must have been unaware of his attainment, which made it impossible for him to return to the human realm. He had already gone beyond the lure of sensual desire, which is the fetter binding beings to the human world. His relatives, unable to see the Devas, imagined that Chitta was in delirium. He reassured them, explaining that he was conversing with invisible beings, then, at their devout request, he gave them his last advice and admonition. They were to repose trust in the Buddha and his Dhamma always, and they were to remain unswervingly generous toward the Holy Sangha. Thus, this noble lay follower of the Buddha passed on to his successors the pattern of conduct which he himself had followed throughout his life with such brilliant success 
one that had brought him to liberation from the miseries of the sensuous realm and within sight of the deathless, the final end of suffering. As we can see from the various uh, sutta references and words of the Buddha and the Arahants, that someone like Chitta the householder is very worthy of respect and very worthy of being praised by the Buddha and someone that we can definitely take as an inspiration, as a role model, particularly as a lay householder. It's really good to reflect on the noble qualities of such a practitioner that he still resides in household life but practices generosity towards the Sangha as well as being the foremost as a lay person at expounding the Dhamma. So people like Nathaputta would come and you know, ask questions and the fact that he also influenced his friends who eventually became monks and attained Arahantship. And it's also very inspiring to hear that during the time of the Buddha that a lay person could attain Anagami path and fruit. Because you often read in the suttas about Sotapanna and more often than not Sotapanna or um, coming close to that. And so Chitta as a householder is someone who is explicitly given as a Anagami. Now it's interesting to see how he answered certain questions that just from a phrase of the Buddha he was able to actually work it out. Um, usually it's someone like Venerable Mahakachana who would expound the Dhamma or explain uh, in a longer form what the Buddha has said in the short form. And so to see uh, Chitta the householder being able to uh, enunciate and elucidate the Buddha's words is so inspiring. Uh, oftentimes if you think about our own practice when we try and understand you know, Agatha of the Buddha it takes us time, if, especially if it's in Pali, you know, all these different dictionaries and Pali translations and then you look at different people's translations and then you meditate on it and then you discuss it with a Kalyanamitta to see whether you, you fully understand it, what do they think, uh, or you go to a teacher and you ask a similar kind of question. Uh, when you think about it like that and you think that Jitta the householder was able to take a gatha of the Buddha and understand and discern and to be able to explain it, then when he's praised by the bhikkhu as that he should be happy uh, in his explanation of the Dhamma, that's something that is very, very inspiring. And so... I think when it comes to uh, Chitta the householder, it's good to have a look at those uh, suttas. They're mainly in Sanyutta Nikaya in the chapter 41. And to see his interactions with the monks and the Buddha, and to see his interactions with lay people and also people of different uh, communities, different faiths, and to see also that in his dealings with them, his um, behavior is upright and quite gentle. Like even when you uh, reconsider 
the issue with the Bhikkhu Sudhamma, how he handled that, how gentle he was in his speech, and how kind and imbued with metta, even in the face of being told off and having words said to uh, lessen his offering, all these kinds of things. It's very interesting to see someone as a layperson and read about someone as a layperson practicing at that time with humility and good graces and loving kindness and generosity and also being learned in many ways, being able to explain and expound the Dhamma. So that's another one we can look at as a role model. So I'll leave it there and we can share the blessings of this particular session and rejoice in the goodness and practice of this noble being. Sharing the merit with all sentient beings. May all beings be well. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings find the right view. Wish you all well. Blessings of the Triple Gem. Better one, Saranai. Thank you.